conclude our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. We have not finished all 30, 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. Um, however, we've, in our designing sermon series for this, this year, felt like it was a natural time to take a break after this chapter. Uh, and we'll come back to the rest of the Proverbs at some later time. Uh, but the rest of the Proverbs, really from chapters 10 to 29, are really, they're not as organized as nicely and neatly as chapters 1 through 9. So we'll probably deal with them in more of a topical fashion later on. But this morning, uh, if you have your Bible, grab a Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull it up on your cell phone. I will expect and think of the best of you that you're not surfing the web while you're looking at your Bible on the phone. If you don't have a Bible, the, the scripture should be printed in your bulletin this morning, so you can turn there as well. We'll read a portion of scripture from Proverbs chapter 10. I hear God's word this morning. Oh, by the way, you know, in the, in the synagogue, it was the practice of those that worshipped that when the word of God was read, they would stand, and then after the word of God was read, the, the rabbi would sit while he was teaching. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. I'm going to stand while I teach and allow you to sit. But out of reverence for the reading of God's word, let's stand together this morning. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit come this morning and illuminate our minds that we could see your word clearly. And see ourselves clearly in it like a mirror this morning. Help us not to be fooled by the false complexion we may put forward in terms of our relationship with you. Allow your penetrating light and the mirror of your word to be like an x-ray this morning. That reveals areas of our hearts and our lives that others cannot see but only your Holy Spirit reveals to us with his convicting, sanctifying power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Rats. I hate rats. Do you hate rats? If you don't, you should hate rats. And the story about the Pied Piper of Hamlin, you could say in one sense, is all about rats because... They pay the Pied Piper to come and take the rats away from their town and their city. But what happens when they refuse to pay the Pied Piper? Do you remember what happens? He takes their children away 
instead. Yes, very terrifying story. And thus, from that story, we have gotten the phrase, the expression, pay the piper. What does that expression mean? That expression means that eventually there will be consequences for your actions. Eventually you're going to have to pay for what you've done or haven't done. That's what happens in the story. The people refuse to pay the piper. And so what, what is the consequence of that action? He takes their children away from them. I'm told there's a deeper literary meaning about war and government and draft and so forth and so on. But we won't explore that together this morning. Instead, what we want to explore together today is the idea of paying the piper. That our actions do have consequences. We see that in the news today, right? There are a lot of people uh, talking about masks, about the need to wear masks, and a lot of people saying, why you shouldn't wear a mask, why it's unhealthy to wear a mask. And regardless of where you stand this morning on that issue or, or what you believe, both sides are saying that eventually you're going to pay the piper for your decision. There are going to be consequences to your action. You're either going to get somebody else sick or you're going to get yourself sick as a result of that action. We see the same thing when we go to the doctor for our annual physical, don't we? He or she will take our blood pressure, they'll do the blood work, and what will they complain about? Your blood pressure, your cholesterol. They'll complain about your diet, what you're eating, what you're not eating, what you should eat, what you could eat. What are they saying? Eventually, your choices is going to result in you having to pay the piper. There will be consequences for your actions. And that's consistent with the scriptures, isn't it? There's a sense in which our, there will be consequences to our actions. And the ultimate meaning of paying the piper is that someday, every single one of us in this room, and every single one person in this town, this community, every single person in the world is going to stand before God on judgment day. And there will be consequences for actions. That's what Proverbs chapter 10 is teaching us. Is that there are consequences to actions. And so the main issue is this. Where do you stand in your relationship with God? Where do you stand in your relationship with God? There are a lot of concerns in our culture today about COVID-19, about racial tensions, about an upcoming election, and those are all important issues. But it's my job to remind all of us that there's a far more important issue. And that's a spiritual issue that deals with not only the temporal consequences of our actions, but the eternal consequences of our actions. And so the greatest most important question you can ask yourself today is where do I stand in my relationship with God? That is the most important question you can answer. The way Proverbs chapter 10 addresses that question is with a contrast. It contrasts the righteous and the wicked. And it does it with a literary device that is called contrasting parallelism. Okay? That's just a big uh, hoity-toity theological word to say this. That the passage presents for us 
two different paths, two different lifestyles, two different ways. And so we see this contrasting parallelism, this contrast in verses 23 through 30. And the key to it is seeing the word but in each one of these contrasts. Look at what it says, verse 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Do you see the contrast? Verse 24. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but... The righteous is established forever. Look at verse 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. What's happening here? The passage is presenting for us the contrast between those who are righteous, who are walking with the Lord and those who are wicked and not walking with the Lord. What's the issue here? The proverb is pushing before us the question, and pressing us up against the wall and asking us, look at yourself in light of this passage. Where do you stand with God? When you look at yourself in the mirror of this passage, do you find yourself resembling more those that are walking with the Lord or those that are walking away from the Lord? Perhaps I've shared this story with you before. In seminary, I got the nickname, the Chaplain of Death. How did I get that nickname? Well, in seminary, we had to fulfill internship hours as chaplains at a local hospital. And there was a Presbyterian hospital there in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I fulfilled my internship hours for that chaplain work. And you would go there about 5 o'clock in the evening, and the, the chaplain who was actually on staff would hand you his his pager, remember pagers? Remember we had pagers? He would hand you his pager and he'd be like, okay, you're on call till 7 a.m. tomorrow. And most of the, then the next day you would go to class and you'd have to share what happened. And most of the guys would come to class and say, well, it was a pretty peaceful night. I mean, I went and prayed with one person, finished up a research paper, and slept eight hours. Except this guy. As soon as I walked in the hospital, it seems as if my, the pager would start going off. And my first night there as a chaplain... I got three calls. I went and prayed with all three of those people. And that night, all three of them died. So the next day, I had to go back. I had to go to class. And they said, what happened? I said, everybody I prayed for died. That's how I got the nickname, the chaplain of death. But what still strikes me today is not a goofy nickname. But is the contrast between two families I visited that night. One family, the person that died, knew the Lord, trusted in Christ for their salvation. There was grief, there was sorrow, there were tears, but there was peace. 
Another family I went to visit right after that one. It was obvious that the loved one that died did not know the Lord. No one in the family at all knew the Lord. And although the thermostat on the wall was set to the same temperature as the other room, the temperature of the room was completely different. It was cold. It was dark. It was full of despair. Hopeless. Why? Because of where those individuals stood with God. Friends, where do you stand with God today? Hebrews 9.27 says this, that it's appointed for every man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. The most important day of your life will be the last day of your life. And, the, and what you need to do right now is prepare yourself for that day. There's a, a, a plaque that hangs in a church somewhere in the south that reads of a minister and his time there at the church. And in some ways it's the greatest honor that a church could ever give to a minister of the gospel. They said basically on this plaque, Reverend so-and-so prepared us for death. If you were to die today, where would you go? Matthew chapter 25 highlights the fact that Jesus is the judge. Remember when we affirmed our faith together this morning using the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it said that one of the ways that Christ has been exalted is that he will come to judge the world at the last day. So the aspect of Jesus as our judge is one of the ways that the Heavenly Father has exalted the Son. And in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and following, it describes for us a scene that on Judgment Day, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep being a good thing, being those who know the Lord, who walk with the Lord, those who will be in heaven with Christ, and the goats being the ones who are condemned to hell. Now there's no doubt that that passage highlights the fact that those who walk with Christ are sheep, those who don't walk with Christ are goats. And we can easily say, well, that distinguishes those in the church from those outside the church. That's true. But also included in that context is the fact that Jesus is teaching religious people. In other words, Jesus is saying to those of, you can even say of the covenant community, there's going to come a day of reckoning for you as well. And on that day, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. I'm going to separate those that seem to be walking with the Lord and those who are truly walking with the Lord. So where do you stand with God? Where do you truly stand with God this morning? One of the ways that you can discern about your relationship with God is analyzing your character. That's the second point I want us to see in this passage this morning. It's not only the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, but I want you to see the character of the righteous versus the wicked. We'll just look at verse 23 for this point of today's message. Look at what he says in verse 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. 
but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What does he say the character of the wicked is? Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Here's what Alan Ross says. Alan's one of the commentators I've enjoyed during this sermon series in the book of Proverbs. Alan Ross says this, one's character is revealed in what one enjoys. Did you catch that? That's a very important quote. One's character is revealed in what one enjoys. In other words, what brings you pleasure? What brings you pleasure will reveal to you truly what your character is. In this passage, it says that doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. In other words, it brings them laughter. It's like a sport to them is what it says in the original Hebrew. What does that say about their character? They delight in wrongdoing. They delight in seeing people's lives destroyed. They delight in seeing people drift from Christ. They delight in seeing people being disobedient to God. They they make a sport of it. Because one's character is revealed in what one enjoys. But notice the contrast. In verse 23, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. I know I look like a nerd. I'm aware of that. But here's reality. I hate to read. And yet my calling is to read and study every week. What calls to change? Change of the heart. I'm not a big history buff. I wish I was. But when it comes to the history of God's word and the history of redemption, I can't get enough of it. What do you enjoy? It reminds me of something that happened last year in January of 2019. Perhaps you remember it. The state of New York passed a bill in favor of late-term abortions. Do you remember that last year? Do you remember how those in that hall responded and reacted that day? They cheered. There was a standing ovation. Did your heart shake in terror? It should have. Because in my lifetime, that is one of the most blatant, obvious scenes in my memory of us as a nation delighting and rejoicing in absolute, pure evil. One's character is revealed in what one enjoys. And every single one of those people that helped pass that legislation, helped pass that bill, they're going to stand before God someday and they're going to be judged. 
And they're going to have to pay the piper because there will be consequence for those actions because God is a God of justice. What about us? Where do we stand with God? Are there some things in our lives that we rejoice and take pleasure in that we know deep down is not of God? And there's a problem. Because one's character is revealed in what one enjoys. And there are consequences to our actions. To give you an example of how our hearts should be in terms of character with God... It's revealed in Psalm chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Friends, what we enjoy reveals our character. And the character of the righteous is that they delight in God's word. They delight in the word of God being taught and preached. They come hungry, ready to learn. And that reveals about where you stand with God. I hope and pray that that brings comfort to your heart this morning because where you stand with God today is that you're in a position where you hunger to learn from Him. You hunger to know more about Him. And you find yourself less and less rejoicing at things that are contrary to God. Which brings us to the last point I want us to take a look at in this passage is how comforting judgment day is to the believer. Notice how comforting judgment day is to the believer. Now here's what happens in verses 24 through 30. It really highlights Judgment Day. Let's take a look together. Let's just walk through it together. Verses 24 through 30. Now what the wicked dreads will come upon him. What should the wicked dread? The wicked should dread being found out. The wicked should be dreading Judgment Day being judged. We'll talk a little bit more in a second about those, how scary and frustrating it is when it seems like the wicked don't care about Judgment Day. I have friends like that. They're not afraid. They're, They're taking pleasure in their sin. They're rejoicing in their own wrongdoing. In fact, that kind of thinking... Uh, drove some of the biblical writers crazy because they said, how can, the right, how can the wicked prosper? How can the righteous suffer? But by and large, we know that God plays the long game. And when God plays the long game, the end of the day and the end of the story is judgment day. 
And so that's what we're taking a look at here in verses 24 through 30. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, being caught, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. What should the desire of the righteous be? It should be this. You get to be with Jesus. I remember for years sitting like a, uh, well, I was a little kid, not like a little kid, I was a little kid, and I remember letting my, my legs swing there on the pew. In fact, when I sit in these pews, my legs still swing on the pew. Some things never change, all right? But I remember the preacher telling me that when you get to heaven, it's going to be great because you'll never thirst again, and you'll get to walk on streets of gold. And I remember thinking, never get to thirst again. I hated school. The only part of school that I looked forward to was recess. And the only thing good about recess inning was the fact that you got to go to the water fountain and get a drink of cold water. I was like, well, you just took away the best thing about school to me. But what my minister failed to teach me was this. That what the righteous wants to be granted to him is this, that he gets to be with Jesus forever. In the fullness of the presence of your God and King. That should bring you comfort. Notice how Judgment Day brings the righteous comfort. Look at verse 25. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more. In the Old Testament, the idea of a whirlwind coming was often a sign of God's judgment. You remember that God speaks to Job from a whirlwind, so God is revealing to Job, hey, don't make me come with with my hand of judgment on you. So what it's saying is that when judgment day comes, when God's judgment blows, the wicked will be no more, but what happens to the righteous? They are established forever. Verse 27, the fear of Yahweh prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. There's a sense in which That's true in a general way, that if you live more righteously than others, if you don't abuse your body with with drugs and alcohol, you have a tendency to live longer than those that have not. Of course, we know that's not always the case. Sometimes good young people get diseases and they die. Nevertheless, it tends to be true. Look at verse 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy. They know that ultimately God is judged, God is just, and he will punish the wicked. But the expectation of the wicked will perish. In other words, the wicked long for pleasure and possessions and position. They long for these things to fill them up with hope, fill them up with comfort, to bring satisfaction and meaning to their life. And yet the more they pursue them, what happens? The more empty they feel. But on judgment day, the righteous, will have their hope fulfilled. Look at verses 29 and 30. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. In other words, hoping in God and His way will be like a fortress of protection for us. And the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. We know that in the Old Testament, uh, the land of Canaan, was the promised land for God's people. It was a sign of God's blessing. But remember, God told them, if you don't walk in my ways, you will be exiled from this land. And that's precisely what happens to them. But we know on the, the longer line of redemptive history that the promised land of the Old Testament becomes a foreshadowing of the new heavens and the new earth, becomes a foreshadowing of heaven and being in God's presence forever. And so, once again, verse... 30 becomes a picture of judgment day. And what do we notice? That for the righteous, 
judgment day is comforting. Recently, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a retired minister. Some of you know, know him, some of you love him, some of you hate him. His name's uh, Chuck Wilson. And Chuck and I were talking about some of the things going on in our nation, and we were bemoaning and groaning the fact of some of the things we're experiencing as a nation. And, and it came up, the issue of Epstein and Maxwell, and all of this revolving around that disgusting, disgusting behavior. And we were talking about how that is really the modern-day slavery. That's the most depraved and disgusting thing you can even imagine and happening in the world today with human trafficking. As our hearts grieved at that situation, just kind of in joking, Chuck started singing a song that's a hymn that we all know, but it was with a twist. How many of you have ever heard the hymn, There's Room at the Cross for You? There's room at the cross for you. Though many have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. That's a wonderful, beautiful hymn of the gospel. And I said, Chuck, I'm, I'm, I'm just so frustrated and discouraged about this. That how, do you, how, how would you, how have you over the years seen this kind of depravity and, and still kept your joy in ministry and still kept your joy in preaching the gospel? And he just started singing this song, kind of jokingly, but listen to it. He said, I just sing this song to myself now as a Christian. There's room in hell for you. Yes, there's room in hell for you. Though many have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room in hell for you. Chuck, you've lost your mind. That was several weeks ago. But then this week I came to Proverbs chapter 10, and you know what I realized? My old crazy friend, and his, well, he is old, but he ain't as crazy as sometimes I think of him. Because there is a place in God's revealed will. That although we long to see the lost come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we know in reality not everyone will. And when we see the kind of atrocities and the kind of depravity involved in the human trafficking in this world, do you know what we should long for? Judgment day. The day when God's justice will rule and reign this earth. And although we don't want to celebrate the judgment of sinners, we can celebrate the execution of God's justice. And biblically, that's balanced. But the way we keep it balanced is this. We know that everyone is going to stand before God on Judgment Day and there will be a pain of the piper. 
there will be a consequence for our actions. There's a point where every man wants to die and then face judgment. But what makes it balanced? It's the gospel. Because all of us should know that if we were to, when we stand before God, if we were to get what our actions deserve, if we were to receive the consequences of our actions, what every single one of us deserves is hell. But the only hope we have is in the good news of Jesus Christ. Revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that reads, So for our sake, He being God, made Jesus, Him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. What does that mean? That the gospel reminds us that God the Father, who is the righteous judge, has preserved His justice, preserved His holiness by allowing Christ to come in our place as our substitute and to pay the death penalty we owe God for our sins. So for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. So that what? So that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the great transaction, as the theologians describe, is the doctrine of justification. That Jesus comes and he pays the death penalty for our sins so that God as the judge might sound the gavel on judgment day, which he's already done, but will be affirmed on judgment day, better said. That the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. So that now when God the Father looks at you and looks at me, he doesn't see us covered in sin, but he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I know, you know, that on Judgment Day, everyone will have to give an account. And the only hope anyone has on Judgment Day is this. That they can look at the Father and say, your son, Jesus, has already paid the piper in my place. Where do you stand with God? Has Jesus paid the price for you? And when you stand or kneel before God on judgment day, Will you put before him a resume, a resume of works righteousness? I did this, I never did that. Or will you put before him a humble spirit that points to the Son? And you say, Father, I'm with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is true, that endures forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Father, the only hope that we have on judgment day is that we belong to Jesus. 
Lord Jesus, for those of us that belong to you, help us to rejoice and relish and cling to that truth today. And I pray, Father, for those that are here with us this morning, that are watching or will watch in the future a replay of this service. May your Holy Spirit draw them to you. That they would assess and evaluate where they stand with you and realize that on judgment day they have no leg to stand on, but they can only rest on Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is the only hope we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to God's word being taught and preached.